We are live. So greetings and welcome to another Educator Innovator Hangout on Air. It's, it is December 10th already and today we have the opportunity to talk about the hour of code and equity issues around computer science education. So this week is computer science education week and the organization code.org is really trying to encourage teachers and educators of all stripes to give students about an hour's worth of experience with uh, coding. And so there's a proliferation of tools out there that are being kind of pushed at teachers and uh, promoted heavily to give students um, that brief introduction. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. So I'm your host. I'm Joe Dillon. I'm a teacher consultant with the Denver Writing Project, as well as the EdTech coordinator for the Aurora Public Schools here in Colorado. Um, our guests today come to our topic with a range of experience and expertise. What they hold in common is an interest in issues of equity and a desire to think critically about the use of digital tools in learning spaces like classrooms. So I want to go ahead and let our guests introduce themselves. And so we'll just start from screen left. So Al, would you mind going first? Not at all. <clears throat> Hello, my name is Al Elliott. I'm a fifth grade educator in Hoover, Alabama. I teach at Green Valley. Um, Glad to be here, and hopefully I can uh, positively contribute to the dialogue. <laughs> what about oh, you, Andrea? Joe. Sorry. Oh, me? Okay. Sure. Yeah, uh, I couldn't hear you, so, and I'm not next on my little line of files. So um, I'm Andrea Sollner. I'm in Michigan. I am a teacher consultant with the Red Cedar Writing Project. I work in schools with uh, um, Oakland Schools, which is the local ISD, and I'm a tech integration specialist in Pontiac Schools, uh, which is an urban district here um, in Oakland County. I'm also a PhD student in the EdTech EdPsych program at Michigan State University. So I've been teaching in the Masters of EdTech program for the last few years as well. I think that's it. <laughs> How about Kim and then Sarah? There we go. Um, hi, I'm Kim Dulard. I'm the director of the San Diego Area Writing Project, and I'm also a, um, a classroom teacher. I teach a multi-age class of first, second, and third graders here in San Diego. I am Sarah Woodard. I am a co-director and teacher consultant with the Denver Writing Project, and I teach high school um, English at a Title I turnaround high school here in Denver. And one of the things that I'm so interested in being part of this um, webinar about is um, breaking down the digital divide um, with students who don't have as much access to technology uh, in, at their homes and outside of the school. Yeah, so just by way of introduction of the topic, I'll just I'll just mention that I uh, I asked everybody here to participate, so I'm really excited to hear what you all have to say. And uh, one of the reasons I invited Sarah is because she and I are colleagues at the Denver Writing Project. And whenever we talk about things we might collaborate on, Sarah says, "And I want to start working with my students about code." And so Sarah is a teacher who's expressed this interest, but unlike the rest of the panel, probably doesn't have a lot of experience like working with students and coding. Sarah has you know worked with technology in the classroom quite a bit, but but this idea of teaching students to code is relatively new, so I think that'll present some opportunities in the conversation. But I, I just want to prompt uh, 
the other folks, um, kind of, you don't need me to call on you, but jump in and just kind of explain to us, like, what have you done in the past, like having students work with coding and sort of like, you know, what ahas or, or what's uh, interesting about that work to you? I can start because I'm in a really similar context to you, Sarah. Um, almost all of my schools are in turnaround right now. And uh, so I'm working K-12 with my entire district, but I'm a former high school English teacher. So um, and had a, a similar population when I was teaching high school. I think for me, I like to think about the approach as around the idea of literacy and that um, coding is another literacy that is within the range of understanding how things work. So sometimes I, if I'm talking to an English audience, sometimes I start with the idea of punctuation, for example, that those are codes that we regularly interact with. So when I see a comma, um, although most English teachers cringe when you say, well, it means a pause, but it's a pause. We read and we pause when we see a comma. When we see a, a period, we stop. We stop at the end of the sentence. We understand that that means something. And um, you know, looking at older text, punctuation has changed over the thousands of years or whatever we've had um, written texts. And you know, all of these things, these symbols are things that we interpret. And so sometimes starting with what's familiar um, can be a nice way into it. And I generally try to think through the logic of whatever I'm working with, whether it's HTML or Scratch or even into other coding languages, whether I'm working with adults or kids, I tend to like to do something physical and interactive where we can touch things. So um, one of my favorites is where you throw up just a bunch of random symbols and tell the kids that they need jump and turn right and turn left and <laughs> squat or whatever you want to make up. And they program one another as robots so that they understand that these are commands that then strung together create a sequence of events and we code one another's dances or whatever. Um, so that's one example. And I also, um, yeah, I have a whole bunch of resources for you. So we can go through that. I don't want to take up too much time, but that's generally where I start. I have a lot of activities with that are, um, I like the Mozilla teachmozilla.org has a bunch of activities they call them lo-fi and hi-fi and I'd like to start with the lo-fi and let's talk in general about what this means or like what concepts we can grab onto before we jump onto the computer. So. That, um, those resources I'm definitely interested in and thank you for your willingness to share those. One of the things that I was thinking about when you were talking is this idea of um, how you know we use um, you know language is a code and one of the things that we talk a lot about in the classroom is how we code switch um, with the um, you know depending on who our audience is and what kind of context or situation that we're in so I think that that's just also um, a, a way to enter in this conversation with my students as well um, just as another it, it is a code um, and they're very familiar and experienced with code switching so thank you for for you know helping me kind of make that connection I think too uh, I'll, I'll just jump in here like I've, I've been having a, I guess a I guess an awakening moment about the importance of code, but thinking of code in terms of like a plumbing code, right? And, and thinking of it as basically just an organized way of accomplishing a task. 
Um, and so I look at like coding now more as just problem solving with digital tools as opposed to anything more specific than that. And, and a lot of times that, that helps me, uh, I guess, to address the equity issue because a lot of times that leads me to just see what the kids are doing as opposed to me giving them an assignment. And, and a lot of times that just seems like a more empowering thing. I, the writing assignment I gave today was what does coding mean to you? And the, the responses were, were, were fascinating because it was more than what I thought I would get. Uh, but that's what the activities of coding provides for all of the students individually. So I, I just think of it as just, a, I guess, just an organized way of solving problems. Uh, it, it's more how I look at it with all of the problems that we need young people to think about coding. It's just an excellent way to actually incorporate the tools that they're probably going to have to use to solve these problems. Yeah, I agree with you about the whole idea of problem solving as being one of the big um, big pieces of coding. And I also want students to um, to sort of not see um, programming as a mystery that somebody else does. I really want them to um, to see that it's something that they can do too. And so as the, the one here in this particular webinar who teaches the youngest students, um, I want them to get started right away knowing that they can and that it's possible. And um, Andrea was talking about those uh, lo-fi. I have a little uh, mechanical bee, bee bot, that we used up to get us started. Um, and he is very engaging and very much fun. And the kids want to say, they, they program him by pushing buttons to tell him how many steps to go. And then when he doesn't go where they want, they're like, oh. What, what did he do wrong? He didn't go where I wanted him to. And that idea that it's we who are t giving the code and that this mechanical tool is doing exactly what we tell him, so we need to rethink if, if it didn't do what we wanted. So it's a great lesson in revision, too. So for at the English teacher perspective, we find that it that builds persistence and um, you know, that revision language works really well with coding as well. Yeah, I think about um, having participated in a workshop about the, the programming language Scratch and just how debugging was just a really important verb that came up a lot. You know, the idea that, hey, your program didn't work, so, oh, there's some good debugging. So, you know, when a student has written some, put some code together that just doesn't work, you know, rather than get frustrated, they sort of see that problem solving of having to look back through their, you know, through their text and find what, what isn't conveying the right meaning and sort that out. It's like debugging as a verb is interesting. And I think there's opportunities then to take that back to, you know, other types of composition. So I'm, I'm interested, you know, when, especially when Al talks about asking students what coding means to them, you know, I'm interested in what ahas you have, you, any of you have had as you've watched students program or, or maybe even when you've asked them what coding means to them. Okay, so so one of the ahas um, that I had is I didn't know how much enjoyment the students get out of figuring out their own mistakes. Like it's, it's it's something about instantly seeing something went wrong and being able to address it at that moment. Like to me, that's something that transcends coding, right? So like a lot of times now during class, I make sure that I sit down next to them while they're writing and and try to catch a mistake or something like 
in the middle of them doing it as opposed to letting them write and I go home and I give them feedback and they come back because that instant that instant feedback that they get with mistakes not necessarily when it works right because I've always been amazed at how much they stick to it when it takes them a long time to get something right like if they're trying to do something and they mess up like they don't get upset they don't get mad they don't throw their hands up in the air they just try to figure out how to get it to work right so it was kind of an aha moment the, the, the instant feedback of getting the wrong answer is helpful to them a motivation almost totally agree with you Alan also the um, the other thing I love my big aha about coding is how much it encourages students to collaborate that there there's a need they they have to help each other because well first of all I'm not the most useful person in the room because I'm no more expert um, at coding than they are um, so the idea that there there's this real genuine need to help each other figure stuff out and I see much more of how do you do that and I I want to do that thing and and it's not always the same kids who are experts in other areas of the curriculum that are that have figured stuff out in coding and I think that that's empowering to have different different people leading in different ways and that that natural collaboration is one of my favorite things about about the coding yeah I would second I would I totally second what both of you said about um, the instant feedback loop is what I really love because it's it's also allows for risk taking in a way that I think is hard in more of our you know school normal ways that we do school. Um, so it you know in in math it feels sort of fraught like there's a test that's coming and everybody's sort of stressed out about it. And in writing it's you know there's always this push to keep revising and revising and revising or that they're moving and um, there it is what you're what you were saying Al that they are having to wait for that feedback they can't decide if it's right on their own and um, but with with coding there it either works or it doesn't work and there's it seems to not be as fraught with the the failure doesn't seem as painful as it is in other academic areas I guess and I'm not sure if that's what the reason is for that if it's just because it's not schoolitized in general that because they're not really doing it in school as a, an academic area or um, if it's just the nature of you know what the systematic way of going through and producing a program because um, I know for me when I I actually started in my freshman year of college as a computer science major and I remember walking out in the spring and being like, whoa, when did spring happen? Because we were only allowed to program on the computers in the basement at that time. And uh, because we weren't, they didn't want us breaking the nice computers. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I gave up a whole season to work on computers because it was that engrossing and that engaging to me. And I see that a lot with my students and with my teachers that, it becomes this other space in which to just sort of tinker and play and you get into that flow feeling that is really hard to capture in a lot of other ways. And I know I tweeted this earlier this week, but one of our students said, you know, miss so-and-so, miss so-and-so, because I was working with another teacher, and I can't believe it. I'm not playing the game. I'm making the game. And, like, that to me is so powerful that they felt, this, you know, this child who had, 
always understood computers as a thing to consume, that I go onto the computer and I consume things, now felt so in charge and how much that helped that child blossom. And I think that that's the other reason why I really love doing this work with uh, kids who are in priority schools or who aren't, you know, the, you know, you think about like, oh, well, the top kids should do the coding because they're the ones who have the skill set. No, I think it should really be all the kids because I, it, it opens up another space to get into other others of these ideas. So that's my. I like idea. also the 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 when when you mentioned uh, the natural collaboration, uh, a lot of times. I think it's just because coding is new, so all of the kids remember when they didn't know anything. And so when other kids that they have to help them, you don't get that, that nan-nan-a-boo-boo, you don't know this, right? Like a lot of times, like I teach fifth grade, so if you don't know your multiplication facts, sometimes, you know, you get a funny look from a classmate, even if it's not to be mean, it's like, you still don't know eight times seven? But with coding, it's, it's, it's almost like, well, I remember when I didn't know anything. And so it's, it's easier, it seems to me, for them to be helpful without teasing or, or, or putting someone down. It's just like, you know, I remember when I didn't know anything either. And so here is how I was able to learn what to learn. Um, but I think that's just because it is so new, right? Like there, it hadn't really been an established thing that everybody's doing. And so it's, it's almost like, Kids get to be the cool kids. Oh, you don't know about coding? Let me let me show you what I'm doing. Let me show you a game I made, or let me show you you know this this different activity, or or, or you know this website. So I love the newness uh, that kind of keeps down the, you know the old heads in, in the classroom from teasing kids that are not in the know. It's it's a very uh, encompassing, engaging, inviting environment that it naturally creates just because it's so new to all of them. Me too. <laughs> One of the things that is getting me even more excited to try this in the classroom with my students is that um, I'm hearing everyone talk about, uh, you know, how engaging it is and that students are persevering and that they're genuinely, um, like, interested in this, in, in coding. And um, it's reminding me of just habits of mind that we want to instill in our students um, with this, you know, the, being genuinely um, interested in inquiring into something new, being metacognitive about the processes that they're using, and um, persisting through, you know, maybe a challenging task, but also being rewarded um, with figuring it out. Uh, so I, I really am excited to, to embark on this with my students. Yeah, I think one of the the uh, interesting points is is just the idea that you know, especially what Kim Kim was saying, you know, starting at an early age and communicating to students that you know computers and software isn't something that we just are passive consumers of, but you know that people program these machines and people create software, and the idea that you know people like you create software, you know, and there are certainly equity issues and and uh, Code.org really pumps some of the equity considerations that we should think about during this week. Just the idea that minorities and uh, students of color and women are really underrepresented in computer science classes, both at the high school level and then at the college level. And then, surprise, surprise, when it comes to employment opportunities, they're also underrepresented there. And I think that uh, one of the opportunities I had this last week was to pop into a, a high school in the school district where I work. and you know, I I think those equity issues are an urgent concern, and I think I hope that conversations like this start to chip away at them. 
at the same time, when I walk into a room in a high school in my district, you know, it does not surprise me to sit down next to a young African American girl and ask her about programming, and it's you know, and she talked to me for a while about how she became interested in middle school, and then she started using online tutorials for a while, and now she has websites that she has to keep up with. Um, she feels like she has websites that she's maintaining for her church, and she has to keep up with her coding skills to make sure her website is is really strong. And the idea that you know, you know, one African American girl who can you know picked at random just to have a conversation with, you know, the idea that when students have a little bit of exposure, it's you know, those students aren't underrepresented because they lack the skills or they lack the you know the interest. It's so often that they lack the exposure. I wonder what you all think about you know some of those equity concerns. Well, I, um, my classroom is um, predominantly Latino and African heritage. We have several students um, who are refugees from um, actually all over the world in my classroom. And I would absolutely say that um, access is probably just the, um, and exposure. Um, would be some of the, the greatest challenges um, for my students. And for some of them, they're so eager to learn, and they are genuinely, um, they, they, want, um, they want the technology, they want the access to it. But also, one of the things that I'm finding, and I guess this is present in my mind because this is something I experienced today, we're in the stages of writing this, you know, um, pretty high-level academic essay, and uh, my, my class is a current, current enrollment course with um, one of our, um, with the University of Colorado Denver, actually, and and we've been, we use Chromebooks, we're on Chromebooks pretty much um, every single day in the classroom, and we've been in the, the writing process um, for this essay um, for, you know, a good 10 days or so, and I had a student say, can I just write this by hand, um, you know, and kind of resistive to the technology, and this is getting off track of the, the coding a bit, but it's that exposure, and it's having um, access to these um, tools and resources besides just the handheld device um, that's the phone, um, you know, outside of their, outside of their school environment. So Tequity and the access and exposure is, is something that I see every day with my students. I feel like that's also a reason why it's important for us to code in school is because there's a space where more and more we have um, technology in classrooms where students might not have it at when they go home. And so I see that in my own classroom. I have kids who have plenty of access at home. And I have kids who have much less for whatever reasons. And it's it's trying to level that playing field by by making coding not something just for kids who have stuff at home, but for all the students and making it a priority. Like we're all gonna learn about this. It it is as I think it was Joe who said, oh no, it was I think maybe it was Andrea talking about it as a literacy. It is a literacy. It's another way of reading and writing our world. And I think that when we whatever we think is important is what we prioritize in our classrooms. And so I think prioritizing coding is a way of also prioritizing equity and access for students. Um. 
Um, I, I'll pipe up a little bit about the equity here. So one of the things that we think about a lot, so in my position, I end up in some of the budget conversations and thinking about how do we make sure kids have access at home, but it's also about prioritizing the time, I think, a little bit as well. I mean, I, I'm, I see the kids after school. <laughs> They're tired. <laughs> they want to go home and code a bunch of stuff. <laughs> And they have other homework or they have other responsibilities. My students in my district are almost all taking care of younger siblings or working um, pretty much as soon as they're in upper elementary. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's just, it's also about saying to everyone, this is an empowering activity we can be doing together. And I'm going to make sure that you have all the skills you need to be successful once you leave here. And I don't want any of the students with whom I work to think that the only people who are allowed to be amazing tech gurus are, you know, Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg. Like, I don't want them to think that's the only option for that's how it should look. That should not be their only representation of the um, highest levels of ability that they look every single person who walks through the doors of my school district looks like a coder to me just as I believe they look like a mathematician and they look like a writer and so I want them to have that opportunity with in the place where we're all in a, uh, a community of learners and that that's part of what we do as learners. I think the uh, the actual the um, the voice piece, um, just looking at coding as a form of language, just like mathematics is is it's a language, it's a way to communicate ideas, um, and what a powerful tool to communicate ideas, right? And so thinking of it in those terms, I think that is 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 helpful, uh, meaning that you're not thinking about um, what they're doing as much as they're learning the basics, right? Like everybody's happy when the kids learns their ABCs. Because that's that first step of literacy, and I think these games, the kids don't even necessarily know they're coding as as it pertains to what they're doing in Microsoft or Google, but they don't have to. The principles are there, and so I I think that kind of speaks to the insight of the entire coding movement, right? As opposed to going through the legislative avenue to say, you know what, let's just make it a fun thing to do, and put it in the schools. It, it really was a I think a very subversive way to put a much needed requirement in the curriculum. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it also excited about looking at it as a way to get other needed missing things into the curriculum, right? Like how can you break something down to its very core essence and just make it fun and accessible? And I think that's kind of also the strength of the whole coding movement. Uh, and so to have like other brands like Minecraft and Star Wars to become part of the entire movement. Uh, I was talking with somebody today, and to me, you can tell when a, when a movement is actually catching steam. Because at first, like you only have like Olympic athletes in their little pictures, and then you get professional athletes, but you get politicians and presidents on the posters for coding. I think you you, you have an official national agenda, and so it's it's exciting to me to see something that started as just playing games in schools to become like a, a national agenda, like. We need more young people thinking in terms of 
these are the tools that are available. These are the problems that we have to solve. Go have fun with it. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about thinking about coding as in terms of language and a way to communicate ideas. Yeah. I I also, can, oh, I was just going to say, Joe, that one of the other things for me, I guess there's two, two other points that I'm really thinking about. One of them is that I'm really concerned about what students are being asked to do on their, um, on their devices. And I just read um, something that Apple put out today about not wanting their devices to be the testing devices. And I think that's a really interesting point. I think that there is a lot of use of technology in schools that looks like rote activities, like the worksheets that we've had for so many years that actually don't get kids thinking creatively, get them collaborating, get them problem solving, get them persisting. So there's that piece of it that's that worries me. And for me, coding is a way to push back in some ways because it is more creative. It There's no way you can't be involved in all of that critical thinking when you're coding, in my experience. And then the other piece, the reason why I think coding is a priority is I'm trying to get more teachers to do it. And I get that it's scary. I am not a coder. Like, I'm the first to tell you I'm kind of lousy at it. I'm not particularly good at Scratch. Um, I've tried lots of times. I'm not all that good at Mozilla ones either. But I, I get in there and I play around. And what I've learned is that even though I'm probably not going to be the next coding icon in the world, I can understand code now. I have a sense of where it goes. I can figure things out. I can do some rudimentary things. And I can certainly help my students. And I feel like if I can do it with my sort of not so spiffy um, coding skills, that other teachers can dive in there and do it. I started coding a few years ago. I didn't have a clue. But it didn't stop me from doing it. And that's what I, I, that's the message I would like to give to other teachers is you don't have to be an expert. You actually don't have to know very much at all. You have to actually just believe that it's important and set your kids up for some success. And there's lots of tools out there right now to, to lean on. Kim, what you're saying is reminding me about how I think the teacher is the most well, I think Donald Graves said it. Um, the teacher is the most important learner in the classroom. And for us to be in the classroom with that mindset of, um, you know, our, we're here to learn, and we're going to learn side by side with our students, I think is, is such an important thing um, to, to remind our community of learners, as Andrea, Andrea was saying earlier. Thank you for that. The other thing I think that's so interesting is, you know, as we, you know, Hearing from teachers who, you know, aren't expert coders necessarily themselves, I think about what Mimi Ito wrote in, I think it was the book Hanging Out, Messing Around, and Geeking Out. And she talked about the role, one of the roles that teachers need to play as technology is, you know, increasingly accessible in schools and out, is the role of translator. That we have an opportunity to translate for students why these things are important. And I think that's, you know, though, you know, any given group of teachers might be, might be new to coding, and teaching coding, what teachers have a unique eye for is like the habit of mind I just saw a student you know demonstrate translates to what I want to see in literature circles. Or I really wish that they were working you know as well in collaborative groups when they're revising each other's essays. And so the idea that we can 
we can see behaviors as assets when students are coding, and we can ask for transfer. And that's, I think that's one of the reasons I would encourage teachers to try coding is to, you know, to discover student behaviors as assets that we can ask for transfer. I wonder, you know, because Kim, you also talked about trying to encourage other teachers to do it, and I wonder why, you know, you've all said so much about why you think it's important, but what do you say when you encourage other teachers to try coding in the class? Well, I think, like, one of the good points to me is I, I love that technology is starting to be looked upon more as instruments as, as opposed to tools, and, and meaning everybody that play, learns to play trumpet isn't trying to become a professional trumpet player. There's value in just learning to play the trumpet, right? And I think the, the more regular coding becomes, the more you don't have to want to be a million-dollar coder. There is value in the activity, um, and, and so that's kind of the avenue I like to talk to you know, other teachers. It's like, hey, it, it doesn't mean that they have to have a career in computer science. There's, there are other valuable traits that they will pick up, you know, just as other instruments. So that's, that's kind of the avenue I like to uh, talk about it. And then it also makes it more friendly because it lets everybody know there's an access point for everybody in music, right? Like whether you're playing a recorder or, you know, a kimbe drum or a piano, right? It's, it's something for everybody on the musical landscape. So looking at technology more as instruments, I think, is enabling everyone else to be able to access it, to use it, to, to you know, I guess, create beautiful music together, I guess we'll say. <laughs> I have to confess that I use my writing project background a lot when I'm trying to, I feel like I'm always cajoling and begging and cheering teachers on to try this stuff. Um, but a lot of times I'm trying to find the most enticing invitation um, that I am trying to put together some project that can be remixed that looks fun enough that they would take a chance and that they could see themselves adding to that project. And so it means thinking of things that have enough scaffolding around them that people can jump in and add to um, but aren't so locked down that they can't see what they might add to it. And so um, I, I think about it a lot in terms of as a writing invitation. What, what is their way in? What is the, the moment of inspiration for them that they might want to add to that project? And then the second that they add something and are successful, that's usually when they're hooked and I don't have to do anymore. <laughs> because that first success is just like the first crossword puzzle that you, you know, the first crossword puzzle answer you find or the first Sudoku. Or <laughs> it's, it's fun once you get in there. You, I've never had anyone not have fun once they were successful. I have, you know, just in processing all of that I'm learning over um, the course of this webinar, I just have a couple of questions that I'd like to put out there. Um, one of the first is, um, Andrew, at the very beginning of the webinar, you talked about you have some resources that you're willing to share with me, which I really appreciate. And I've heard you, you talk a little bit about, um, you know, that your students are um, coding games and things like that. But I just, I would want, I'm interested in hearing from um, all of you, Kim, Al, and Andrea, what are, for somebody new, um, what would you recommend beginning with and maybe some things that you find that have been really engaging 
for your students um, in terms of having them code and having them create? Um, to me, code.org, I'm, I'm still on that. I know everybody else is on Scratch and this other stuff, but they have a lot of, um, like, I guess, leveled lessons. So if you are a novice, there's something for you. If they also have plenty of things where you won't get bored. They actually have like you know reward systems kind of built in, like you know way to go type attaboys kind of in there. So I, I think that's the most user friendly first step, um, and it, it's got the name recognition. Um, there are a lot of like the friendly brands. I know you'll see Star Wars, you'll see Minecraft. So as far as students, there are things that they think are cool anyway. Um, so I mean that's kind of the the go-to coding intro that I use. Yeah, for, for me, I feel like I make my choices based on what tools I have, and I happen to have iPads in my classroom, and so if it's not iPad compatible, then I don't do it, essentially. Um, so currently, my kids are using Scratch Junior because Scratch actually isn't easily accessible on the iPad, um, the thing I like about it is that, in in lots of ways, they're they're writing they're they're coding uh, digital stories. So it's, they're not they, they did make some games last year with on Scratch Junior and Hopscotch, which is another um, app a coding app that we have access to. But um, the the idea of making a story or making a game um, is is interesting and. I don't know, the story seemed easier at first for me, but that's probably because I understand a story better than I understand a game. Um, but especially the boys in my class got, they went crazy over games last year and learned all kinds of, of things to do. And I mean, their games, they, they're as you might expect from six, seven, and eight-year-olds. But um, they had a lot of fun, and they coded them, and they debugged them, and they kept returning to them, and then they wanted to play each other's games. So there's there's all of that too. But to me, it's about the materials I have access to that makes it matter most to me. Um, yeah, I totally agree with looking around and seeing what you have available and trying to make. You don't want to put people into a coding experience no matter what age they are with unfamiliar tools of the other things, right? So you want to start where as scaffolded as you can get in like that next zone of proximal development, which is why I said at the beginning that I like to start with the lo-fi activities or like Kim was saying, she's got the cute little robot, which I'm jealous of. And um, so uh, one of the, I'm trying to throw, I was trying to tweet and I'm like overwhelmed. So, but I really, I said earlier that teach.mozilla.org for high school students, one of, they have this tool called x-ray goggles and I know Kim's played with it before and Jim, um, I mean Joe. And um, we, what you, what it does is it gives an overlay of a website and it will highlight the HTML elements in it. And so, um, you can hack the news is the one that we always do, and the kids love it because they can change their their you know headline to reflect them. They can put their own picture on the New York Times, and it feels very you know like you're breaking something or you're doing something illicit. And so usually people have a lot of fun with that one. Um, there's a couple of other activities in there as well to do sort of web making kind of coding, and so. 
that right those ones I think are really accessible for high school especially and it jives really nicely with writing as well and then the hour of code they've been a lot of people are putting together a lot of lists I just put one in our chat so hopefully someone can help me tweet it um, the ask the asset teacher had it like an hour of code um, activities by grade level broken down so that just came across my feed that was really good and then I also enjoy using scratch a lot I think um, for the underlying logic of really what gets into programming so my I think one of the things to do too is for teachers who are thinking about getting into using coding with their students is you know for us English teacher types we love doing our literacy memoirs and I think one of the nice activities for us as lead learners in our classroom is to think about what our uh, technology memoir might look like or what our coding memoir might look like. And I know for me it was, I my dad was like obsessed with teaching us how to code. So I learned basic, I had a teacher who taught me Pascal, I had computer science my freshman year of college and then decided I hated missing spring as I mentioned earlier so I became an English teacher <laughs> instead and um, you know I've learned other subsequent languages some of them better than others and for me those all the things that carry through there goes my dog um, is the is the logic and I see that in scratch and we actually have really good research on using scratch to get the underlying computer science logic that will transfer across coding languages and so I even working with my students today um, they they kept forgetting they had to start the program that like the switch had to get turned on they had to start with some kind of input to make their little animations go um, those are important because that structure is always going to be there no matter what sort of coding you're doing. And so I think thinking really strategically about if it's more of a literacy idea that I want to go after, maybe HTML is what I want to do. If I want to be thinking about more of some of the underlying logic, then Scratch is really nice for that. And also making sure that we are doing that kind of learning too and seeing where all these things fit in and understanding why this language over that language or where this language is used. Um, all of those things I think go into our factors because if we're going to stick with our literacy idea then each of these become their own text that we're producing. So we have to be really thoughtful about why we're producing that text and sometimes it's just to play with it. That's fine too. It's fine to just engage with it. But I think when it's sustainable and done really well and we see that transfer, it's when we're really being thoughtful about why we're doing it. I agree with so much of what's been said. I mean, I think a couple of, a couple of things I've noticed about the tools is I think when you look at, when I look at code.org's tools, it, so often there's a series of puzzles and I've, I've been really impressed that when students master it, you know, about nine or so puzzles, typically the 10th puzzle invites them to create something on their own. So they've, they've figured out, you know, a certain number of commands over the course of these puzzles and then they're, they're you know, challenged to create something on their own. Um, with Scratch, I really like, uh, you know, a couple of the things they challenge students to try is like animate your name, right, and, or create a holiday card. Just the idea that it's really simple composition 
and I really like the possible transference to like to a literacy class. And I, the other thing I want to tweet out is uh, Scratch's guide to creative computing. So if a teacher is watching or thinking about this, you know, the idea that you know MIT is publishing free resources and publishing, you know, and, and has also put together a free tool for students to learn to code. To me, there's so many equity implications that here's the curriculum for free. Oh, by the way, here's the tool for free. And I know that the, the laptops and the infrastructure is not free, but I think those are huge steps forward in terms of the accessibility of this stuff. Um, but one of the things I think about for Sarah's high school English class, you know, if, if a student successfully, you know, animates their own name in Scratch, then they might also be invited to, like, animate a poem that they'd studied or animate something that they found as, you know, an important passage in, what they'd, in something they'd read. Because you know it, it's a very small leap, but the idea that you know you can compose something creatively using code in response to literature is something that I think might have value in a high school classroom. It's making me think about um, making connections to the kind of an, a theme that we um, that, or I guess maybe a lens that um, we we study all year long is social justice and. Um, how we can, you know, I want to instill in my students uh, the skill and the voice to take action for social justice. And so where could, where's the overlap between that and coding? And I know that there are possibilities. So that's something that I'd love to explore a little bit um, as well. One other, is that okay if I ask one more question, Joe? I think you should. <laughs> Um, one other question I have right now is just um, how often are you coding with your students and when are you fitting it in and um, you know I could see it I, I, could, I guess I'm thinking of a, of a lot of different possibilities but I'm just wondering what it looks like in your classrooms. Well I know uh, this week with it being cold week um, anytime they finished you know whatever work they had this week they could just have at it. I know we, um, we're departmentalized at my school and a math teacher uh, gives them a lot of when they finish their work they can work on uh, their golding or their games um, and so what will end up happening is some of the students will either go home or in their free time they'll work individually so a lot of times it's not the entire class but what ends up happening is I make sure if someone comes to me to tell me something cool that they've done, I make sure they get an opportunity to share. And so I'm trying to make sure it's more of an organic fit with in as I'm implementing it, as opposed to just always saying, hey, we got a code today, we got a code today. Some kids naturally kind of take to it, and some kids not so much yet. But I just kind of try to fit it in as the kids bring me certain accomplishments that they've kind of, you know, experienced. Yeah, and I feel like they should stop calling it the hour of code and start calling it hours of code. Um, in our classroom, so we launched coding for this year, this week. Um, I told you I didn't even know if we were going to get to it, but we did actually get to coding this week. But once we've launched it, so we launched it with doing some uh, whole group kind of activities so that kids could get get started together um, but and then we have a challenge for them for next week something that we want everybody to complete to get a good start on getting their coding feet wet and then it's it's a lot like Al says there are also opportunities for kids who are more interested in coding to go on and do more with it and then we'll 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 do I mean I love I love uh, Joe's animate your um, 
you know, your response to literature is great. I would probably have to do something like that um, coming up. But um, doing those kinds of things where you plug in an assignment that in, in that encourages students to go to the coding, but then you also give them opportunities to explore in other ways. In, in my class, it happens to be before school. There's never any when you get finished time, but there's, you know, if kid, those kids who really want to come in and, and use those devices, we let them come in before school and they can spend that time then, and that works in our particular situation. So um, for our teachers in Pontiac, generally they're just getting started with it. And we also have a bunch of after-school coding clubs and that kind of thing. Um, lots of places do it at lunch as an extra. But one of the, if you're looking to do it in your classroom, I would just suggest is what you've heard Al and Kim say is that this becomes another genre in which the kids can write. And so once they have enough skills built up, then that becomes another invitation for them to publish. Um, so that's another reason why I tend to gravitate back towards Scratch because I think it works really well as a publishing platform. You'll see if you click through a lot of the um, projects on there, are, they're digital stories. They're little animations that are responses. We've got Twitcastrophe. Actually, the kids found our Twitcastrophes, Joe, and so they were looking at my horrible sandwich um, today, so they were um, really interested in my pathetic drawing skills and your head on my stick figure going across the screen. <laughs> so uh, for those who don't know, we were at a conference and we invited people to tweet catastrophes at us that we then animated using Scratch. And so um, it's still up there on my project page, <laughs> apparently. So it resurged today. <laughs> but you know, that it's a genre, right? Like we were telling stories about um, what was happening in those catastrophes. So I like thinking about it that way instead of here's this discrete set of tasks or skills that you have to get, but it's, this is an ongoing way in which to publish and to write. Sure. One thing I'm reminded of, <clears throat> in addition to Twigcastrophe, I love being reminded of Twigcastrophe, but uh, when Sarah talked about, you know, just the emphasis in her class, in a high school English class, about social justice and interest, interest in civic issues, um, I'm, I'm reminded of something that Kim does in the San Diego area writing project with teachers during the summer. She asks teachers to remix the rules of Monopoly to, you know, to kind of, I, it's a whole other webinar to have Kim talk about this, but to, to illustrate inequity, right? Like how can you set up Monopoly to represent inequity? And so some characters have to overcome inequity. And I, just in the last week, having seen so many different students having interest in remixing games, I think that's a way to ask them to remix a game. Is there a way we can remix this game in such a way that we can, you know, show privilege or one, you know, one character over another or things like that. The idea that you can explore big concepts with, with simple puzzles and simple tools is, you know, it's just another way. It's like asking students to respond using art. You know, sometimes you never know how they'll, they'll respond differently if you ask them to switch modalities. I have to say, I feel like it's really useful to have a community of folks who 
value something like coding that at first wasn't very um, embraced in our schools. And this idea that, um, like for me, that's the National Writing Project did that for me. So put me into contact with people like Joe and Andrea and Christina and a number of other folks who sort of encouraged me to, um, to try these things with my students that I might not have done if I didn't have this community around me. And I think that it's, it's really important for us to find those folks either locally or um, digitally um, to support us when we dive into something that maybe doesn't feel quite so comfortable yet. And just hearing, like, Joe just threw out, like, what, 10 ideas of things you could do in your classroom? I mean, that's amazing. Now I have 10 more ideas that I'll probably try in my classroom, too. And just, you know, just having this opportunity to talk just, like, fills up the bucket full of possibilities that we can be using and trying and, you know, just builds it up, up for us. I think that's, like, an absolute great point. I know professionally... I had to figure out that it's, it's, it's better to try to find like-minded people than trying to convince people to think like you. So I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I love that, you know, the Internet, Google Hangouts, Twitter, is, is just it, it lets you know that, you know what, I'm not the only person out here looking for good ideas, and actually people out here that are willing to share some. So that's like a, a really cool time to be a teacher. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, since I'm looking at the clock and I know we're, we're short on time, I wonder if we should whip around for s sort of a final thought from anyone or, or maybe a final question from Sarah. And uh, so what do you guys think? I feel like I'm reminded um, more than anything, I, I don't even know that this directly has to do with coding, but the, the power of us as teachers being willing to take risks in front of our students is hugely important to their learning too. And so that, that being that co-learner, that um, pushing our own boundaries of comfort in the learning environment can only help our students in their own learning processes too. And I think that's like, a, I guess, built into coding, especially for teachers that don't understand coding. You're going to make mistakes. And when your kids see how you handle those mistakes, like it is, it is encouraging. Like they, they know firsthand you weren't perfect and you didn't disappear. So I, I, I think that's a beautiful thing, just kind of built into uh, people, teachers that don't think they're tech savvy. Like you probably would be the best teachers to facilitate lessons in coding. I completely second all those ideas once again because I, I, I think that, you know, so many of us were so good at school, you know, like we went into teaching because we loved school, many of us, and to have something that's challenging to do with our students, it can be really frightening, but it also helps us grow so much as professionals. I certainly don't always, like today we were trying to figure something out in Scratch, and I didn't know. One of the kids figured it out first, and it was you know, that was huge for him because he was able to show off that skill to everybody. Um, it's really an opportunity to keep it fresh for ourselves, too, because I know for me, I don't want to be bored in whatever my classroom looks like because I feel like I have all the answers. I don't think I'm doing my job anymore if that happens. And so this is, um, you know, 
Eleanor Roosevelt said, do one thing every day which scares you. And I feel like some days it's coding <laughs> because it could break. <laughs> and I always say, listen, you can press all the buttons. If you break it, we'll fix it. It's going to be fine. <laughs> I just wanted to say thank you to all of you for sharing your insight and expertise. And um, I've learned a lot through um, the, the last hour, and I can't wait to try this out with my students. It's not going to be until the start of uh, the new year. Um, however, um, I can't wait. I hope that there's an opportunity for us to come back together maybe in the next few months, and then I can you know, share some of my experiences with um, what I've learned and um, what we've, we've done in the classroom with coding. So thank you. Lots to look forward to. Yeah, and I want to thank you all so much for uh, for agreeing to join this conversation and share your, you know, what you your experiences and how you relate your experiences to other teachers. And you know, I, I think that people tweeting along and seeing the resources you've shared out, you know, I I just think it's important. So I really appreciate your time. Um, so thanks again to all our guests. And and just as a final word, if you're interested in learning more about connected learning, make sure to check out the Connected Learning Alliance site at at CLAlliance.org. And if you'd like to keep abreast of future opportunities from Educator Innovator and partners like the one we heard about today, actually probably the biggest partner today is the Writing Project, since most of us are Writing Project teachers. And um, So if you're interested in learning more about you know, Ed Innovator partners, sign up for the month monthly newsletter at EducatorInnovator.org and follow Educator Innovator on Twitter at, at Innovates underscore Ed. So thanks again, everyone, and good night.